0: Welcome to the 10th episode of Fansite. It's official San Francisco Giants podcast. This is Sound the Foghorn. I am your host, Mark Deluki, and today I am excited to have on my friend, Roger Munter from over at There Are Giants. Roger, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, Mark. How are things out there in, in sunny, toasty, warm breezes in the Pacific?
0: You know, it's kind of overcast today. You know, I'm not gonna lie; I'm not complaining about the 74 degrees, but you know, we we, we we've had better. I'll have to say. But uh,
1: <laughs> well, we're 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 doing fine here in the mid 30s, trying to stay above <laughs> freezing, so it's it's a good time.
0: It's it's the 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 expectations are always contextual, sure. right? <laughs> um, so we have a new starting pitcher to talk about on a big league contract who is, you know, supposed to be in the Giants rotation in the first five days of next year. Anthony DiScalfani. Scalfani, uh, De Di Scalfani, I'm Italian, I shouldn't be making that mistake. <laughs> but um, what, 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 what was your takeaway from the move? What do you think? What are your expectations for him um, next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this was a move that I think we all probably were waiting for. We're probably waiting for you know more moves like it. I think if you just take a step back, first the it was a week or so ago the Zips projections came out for the Giants and they. They had, you know, their f- number four starter was Andrew Suarez, who's about to go to Korea. And the number five starter was Sean was Anderson, who I don't think anybody's really talking about putting back in the rotation. Uh, you know, after that was like Sean Jelly. Even at number three, they have Logan Webb, who, you know, Logan Webb has had this terrifically strange professional history where he's basically only had one full season in seven years. Uh, and and I don't think he's ever pitched 110 innings. So basically, you know, coverage of innings is number one thing the Giants have to accomplish because they don't have very many of a full season's innings covered yet. So this was exactly kind of the kind of signings you'd expect him to do. And, again, I expect him to do at least one more of these. Um, the only thing about uh, Scofani to me is, I mean, one, so he had a, he's coming off a bad year that was – injury plague due to a non-pitching arm injury which seems like a pretty good bet to bounce back uh, to my eyes and the second thing is that we're really starting to see a trend for the Giants in that they're shopping in this aisle of starting pitchers who are coming off bad years but who did not have dips in their velocity like Di didn't pitch very well last year with, with with the back injury but his his pure velocity was well above average and i that was true of Smiley at the end of 2019. It was true of Gaussman. That seems to be a trend that we're seeing from now. That, that if you've got a guy with a reasonably healthy arm who's throwing hard, they're going to bet that they can get something better out of him. Uh, in the past, he's featured a pretty, pretty good swing and miss slider. Uh, I think they said last year they didn't see as much separation between the slider and the curve, which caused some of his problems and that you can – you can easily blame on a back injury for that. So they sharpen up the breaking ball and maybe you're back to the 2019 pitcher who was a fantastic pitcher. Uh, He's always had a tendency towards homeritis. And you think Oracle should certainly be better than great American ballpark on that. Although I think we've seen in the past with, you know, Jeff Samarja, even Kevin Gausman that, you know, pitchers with homeritis Oracle's not going to be totally immune to it, but If they get a 2019 version of D Scalfani, that certainly goes a long ways to to, to lengthening the rotation, I would think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And to pull it back to that Zips projection, I just pulled it up because there was one thing I remembered. And if you go by wins above replacement, and obviously there's other metrics you could use to rank the players by Zips, but the player projected to start and have the most war currently in the Giants organization, it was Kevin Galsman was number one, Logan Webb was number two, Sean Jelly, who has yet to pitch above Double A, was number three, and Anthony Banda was four, <laughs> and Rico Garcia and Johnny Cueto were tied at five. So I mean, like, yeah, there was a need for arms, right? And obviously, DiScipani is one of those lower risk, right? You're getting a one-year, six million dollar deal, right? If he's coming off a season like 2019 or 2018, he's in that odorizzi. He? He's in that multi-year, possibly 10 to 15 million dollar. Uh, a year range from looking at at least how this market um, is expected to play out. I think it's interesting too. You mentioned the trend emerging. The one thing I'm actually working on a piece right now, that'll be up when this podcast comes out tomorrow. The other thing I've went through and looked at all the players under Zaidi, who the Giants have either pitchers who they've claimed on waivers or um, signed to big league deals. And all of them, they're, Best pitch by whiff rate is not their four-seam fastball, or they're not, not a fastball, with the exception of Drew Pomerantz, ironically. <laughs> and almost all of them have a, had a whiff rate on that pitch above 35% the year before he was acquired, or the year before that player was acquired. Even De, De Scafani last year, his slider had a 36% whiff rate. And in fact, if you look at the last four players acquired have all been sliders, which we can read into that what we will um so we're i think it's also not only that the fastball we're seeing the velocity kind of maintain at what it is but they're also not looking for um it it doesn't seem like they're targeting guys who the fastball is going to be the put away pitch or the fastball is going to overpower guys even though gaussman has some premium velocity Desclafani's obviously been in the mid 90s that seems secondary to these other desirable traits in the secondaries
1: Yeah, actually, uh, Gabe Kapler was talking about that on a recent interview, um, uh, specifically talking about uh, Matt Whistler, but he kind of caught my ears. He said, you know, the fastball is is the least effective pitch. It's the pitch that gets hit the most. Uh, And it sounds like the Giants' philosophy is really to push people to use their secondaries more and more and more. And, um, you know, I think, too, that with maybe starting pitchers, Um, their innings limits truncating a bit and they're not turning over lineup a third time that the third pitch is becoming less of a necessity for starters. um, If they have two really good ones that they can use to get swing and misses. Uh, I wonder if the giants are kind of in that trend of thinking we'd rather have two really good pitches or even one really good pitch uh, and not worry so much about the classic starters pitch mix. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think, that's a good point. And I also think you mentioned that third pitch. And for, I think, some guys, they're potentially looking at that fastball as that third pitch, the way the Giants are looking at it.
1: Yeah. In that same interview, he Kappa he, uh, was asked about Logan Webb. And the thing he said he wanted to see most out of Logan Webb was throwing his changeup more often for strikes. So, that you know, that is definitely, I think, on this team's mind is find a killer secondary and then just lean on it.
0: Yeah. So obviously they now have one more starter, although, you know, as we mentioned, there's still reason to be skeptical. I mean, I wrote a piece I'm a bit more cautious of DeSclafani Sclafani than I think most people are. And part of that is, I think there's a lot of recency bias among Giants fans just because they just hit on Gaussman and, you know, Smiley, although he, even though Smiley was hurt, he was really effective when he was healthy, but you know, the the fact is the same front office signed, you know, Derek Holland and Drew Pomerantz to be those bounce back starters or be those starters and, 2019 and obviously you know those signings didn't work out as well though pomerantz did end up you know being traded as, as a bullpen arm it's just when you're working in this you know low end some form of bounce back right like the hit rate isn't high right like the the expectations for de like in my view right it's a successful signing if he throws 150 innings and has a four or five ish era you know that that's a success because like you mentioned they need innings right now and so Looking ahead to the rest of this off season, then, where do you see, do you see them? Just kind of, we're going to bring in three Di Sclafani types, and you know, or do you see them maybe venturing into a a Bauer market or a Odorizzi or a Quintana or something to that degree?
1: Well. I- so you make a really good point that people say, Oh, Galsman was a success. Smiley was a success. Smiley was more of a limited success because he just wasn't out there very often. But then there's also, you know, Tyson Ross and, and and Tyler Alexander, uh, you know, Trevor Cahill. Um, There've been a lot of pictures have come through and the success hits or rates on them, you know, really fall all along the spectrum. And certainly if, if, if you try to really load up on the strategy of we're gonna get all guys coming off bad years or coming off injuries, you know, at some point you're gonna you're gonna hit snake eyes and they're all gonna be injured and bad and then, and then you're gonna have a problem on your hands. Um, that said, I think they certainly, they're probably going to do some some little a la carte shopping. So where there's going to be a couple more Trevor Cahill types. Uh, they may even bring Tyler Anderson back uh, at some point on on a on a smaller salary. I would expect them maybe to be shopping in the sort of injured former ace aisle with, you know, Cory Kluber, James Paxton. Mm. Uh, although those guys would have to prove that they're they're healthy, which at this point. Uh, nobody really knows uh, Scott Boris at Paxton is getting close to ready to uh, do a showcase for teams, but you know, that doesn't sound like fully healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ex- expect them to be, I think they definitely would like Logan Webb to have to fight for the number five slot uh, coming into next year. I think that would be an ideal and they're probably going to have a a variety of different type of pickups for that. It certainly sounds to me when you're listening to Farhan AD talk and he uses terms like, you know, flexibility. Uh, I think when they signed Di Scalfani, he said, we have room for another player. That doesn't sound like uh, they're shopping in the Trevor Bauer line to me. But I do think that this is kind of the key question when you're thinking about the Giants and what they're building right now is, when are we going to see them acquire uh, a multi-year, a player for multiple years? Um you know, Wilmer Flores is the only guy they have signed for more than one year. Setting aside Jastrzemski, who's a little bit of a fluke, I would say Alex Dickerson's the only guy they've traded for that they have you know, multiple mm-hmm. years of control. When are they going to start acquiring pieces that are more than a one-year piece is really the big question in my mind. And I kind of guess the answer to that is not. Now, just in part because circumstances, because so much about 2021 is unknown, so much about 2022 is unknown, that it's a it's a weird time to be kind of going all in. But you know, maybe they have a big trick up their their sleeves for this year. Whether that's you know signing a Trevor Bauer or you know training for <laughs> trading for a Harper or something like that, it doesn't sound to me like that is in the offing. I think we're going to see a whole lot of one year deals, and I think we're going to see late one year deals. I think we're gonna see like late January, February, see where the market comes to where they're where they're comfortable. It doesn't sound to me like they're gonna spend a lot more and they have, you know, three, four, five more pieces they want to add.
0: I agree. And I think given the way Zaidis approach things, and again, I think similarly to when will they sign a multi-year piece, the question is when will they trade a prospect who is a prospect that we know, right like someone in that top 20 you, even the top 30-ish range who will be that, that um, prospect they are willing to move because really outside of the Pilar deal, that was really the only time they ever traded a prospect that was um, you know kind of in that top 30-ish conversation and even then that was Zaidi's first season with the team so most of those guys you know he didn't have a hand in acquiring in the first place.
1: You're, so, you're, really, you're really dismissing Franklin Van Gurp as a prospect there.
0: Tonight. Well, listen, my dad loves Franklin Van Gerp. My dad was both upset about Malik Ziegler. He wants Malik Ziegler back. Who I like Malik Malik went Malik to Minnesota Ziegler. in the Michael Reed trade, right? And then, yep. um, or was that Tyler Austin? Anyway, so I a think lot of Ziegler
1: name. went for Austin.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, I think Breed was cash now that I think about it. But, um, you know, they, they, they haven't made that move right and, I think it's fair to say I've speculated about possible deals. I think it's reasonable to say the Pirates probably aren't trading Joe Musgrove unless they get overpaid for it. And so, you know, while I might be inclined to say I think a Patrick Bailey, Blake Rivera package or Will Wilson package would be something I'd consider doing for Musgrove. I think Pirates are going to be approaching this from unless we're getting a top 100 prospect or probably not doing this. And that's not a price I'd be willing to pay. I don't expect IED to be willing to pay. Um, and obviously. When it comes to Blake Snell, you know, with the Rays, you can never read things. But generally speaking, you know, with them, it seems like that leaking um, just seems to suggest to me that it's not going to happen because the Rays tend to move in silence when it comes to big deals. Right. That's kind of how the Longoria deal came someone out of nowhere. Um, and, and so I kind of be surprised if that happens again, unless they're getting an Archer like package in return, which I don't see the Giants offering.
1: Yeah, I mean that. To me, that is something that, uh, from the from the pure sort of internet dude spitting scenarios in my head, like getting into a Blake Snell, and Kevin Kiermeier trade, where you're trying to use your ability to swallow money as a way to lessen the cost. That does kind of seem interesting to me because it it knocks off two pretty big. Uh, needs with one sweep but uh, you know that's that is an internet kind of deal and I don't suspect they're gonna they're gonna head that direction as much as it is enticing to me
0: definitely so on outside of the start actually let's stick with the starting rotation for one more question if there is an arm out there what is sort of that midpoint for you that I really that I really like this guy and I think the Giants might be shopping in the aisle like who's kind of that ideal player left that you th- that you like and that you think is the most likely um, that they could sign
1: so i do like both the guys i mentioned before uh kluber and paxton i i like both of those arms just because you know that there's a chance for a high reward there However, I don't think anybody knows what their health situation is. So you'd have to, one, ascertain that, and two, then build in some redundancy uh, behind them if you got either of them. I-, I also am a longtime fan of Taiwan Walker, although I know that he, uh, his numbers last year uh, appear to be a little uh, hit lucky. Uh, his peripherals didn't kind of back up the the ERA, but he's always been an arm that I've liked. Uh, so I don't know if if, if that would be something where they think they can, you know, get the spin doctors working on the breaking balls and design something. Uh, he's a guy I would, I would, I would like to see them at.
0: Yeah. I've, I've cooled on Walker over the years. I was really high on him as a prospect and, um, sort of when he was making his debut, he, I've kind of pulled back a bit partially because of the peripherals that you mentioned. Um, I'm definitely on board with Paxton. I'm a bit, cautious with Kluber just because we're much further removed from elite or strong Kluber right than we are from Paxton where Paxton you know when he's pitched he's been effective you can see it in, in the stuff pretty consistently it's just can you count on him for more than even 120 innings in a season is kind of a, a pretty big question mark I, I don't think his market's gonna fall enough I do really like Quintana but yeah mm-hmm. I, the my guy from the lower tiers was Michael Waka. that was my guy and uh, obviously, the Rays picked him up for $3 million, which I do feel pretty good about if the Rays are the team that's making that move. Um, <laughs> I, but I am curious to see how he goes. Because, again, there was just a lot of similarities, obviously injury history aside, which is a huge one. But, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of similarities with his 2020 season, obviously in a smaller sample, and Gaussman's in 2019, where a lot of batted ball luck or a, a, a high bob hip, um, a low strand rate, a um, career high strikeout percentage and just kind of this weird in between where you can look at certain peripherals and convince yourself he just had the best the the most efficient season of his career on the mound and then you look at the counting stats and it doesn't line up and so um and walk is also someone i've liked for um, a while not just because you know the giants have had some success against him but um (laughs) yes they have Um, So I I think there, I think that was sort of my guy. I got to sort of go back in, you know, you can do the under the radar targets pieces so much before you kind of get numb with convincing yourself, every guy can be a good starter.
1: Well, then there's the other thing is if you are in the, not the starter mentality, but the bulk innings mentality, uh, Garrett Richards is an arm I've always liked. I don't think he's a starter anymore, but if you wanted a guy, to fill a role a lot like they used Trevor Cahill last year. he's a He would be an interesting person in that kind of role, I think.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think most people, it seems like, are projecting Richards at least, I've been using MLB Trade Rumors as my kind of guide, and I think Fangraphs um, has done projections as well. I haven't seen this, but like it seems like people are putting Richards in that Quintana um, I'm trying to think, there's another arm in there that I'm missing, but kind of that Mid rotation starter, yeah. Tanaka yeah. another guy that's sort yeah. of in Tanaka Paxton, you know, ish um player, and Richards is kind of that perennial prospect, right? Like he will, because of the injuries, like there are certain players who it's like they'll be 34 years old, but you're still looking at them like, the, hey, if we just if they're just healthy one year and they put it all together, you know, and, and that's kind of what Richards is, which I'm inclined to like, even though I know it's probably a blind spot, if that makes
1: mm-hmm. sense. No, no, I, I totally agree.
0: So outside of the starting rotation, you know, they sign Matt Whistler, but what is the, is the biggest hole left to you, just a high leverage bullpen arm, or is there something on the position player side that you say, well, maybe people are overlooking?
1: So one thing I have been mulling a lot lately uh and i haven't written anything about it um but maybe i will um is that there's in my mind a growing roster construction issue with the team uh, where they are getting to be a little heavy on corner slash dh types um and very light on up the middle types if, so if you just run the numbers and say you know assuming that this year we have a normal rules and there's a 26 man roster. Uh, and it sounds like they are planning on having 13 pitchers. So you've got essentially after the backup catcher, four bench spots to, to deal with. They've got, you know, whichever of Solano and Flores isn't starting. They've got rough. They've got Slater. That's three of them. If you're adding a Vossler or a better version of Vossler, like a Tommy La that's four guys. And you essentially don't have anybody on the roster to back up Brandon Crawford at shortstop, even plausibly, um, except for maybe Dubon. And if you use him for that, then you don't have a center fielder on the roster. So they are getting really corner heavy, it seems like to me. And I think it's interesting. Uh, it, to me, it's almost a zero-sum game that if they start adding some of the pieces they've talked about needing, particularly you know, more left-handed hitters, someone's going to have to get subtracted. You know, And particularly, I think about Solano and Flores as being really kind of redundant players on this roster you know they're in theory up the middle guys but neither of them is very impressively up the middle um and i'm not sure flores can can be a starting second baseman really at this point uh so what are they going to do to bolster because we know brandon crawford wears down if you force him to play every day what are they going to do to bolster that up the middle without losing some of these corner pieces Ruff and Slater are a little bit redundant, you know? So that's kind of what's interesting to me is, are they going to be able to add without also subtracting? Mm -hmm.
0: For a while, it's like, I can't see this roster having, if we follow the rules, you know, that are expected at the moment, Darren Ruff, Brandon Belt, and Wilmer Flores. I just can't see all three of those guys on a roster. I am somewhat cautious, though, to get overly committal to that. Because I don't think it's the worst idea. I think the Giants are behaving like they expect COVID expanded rosters to be a thing next season. and Which is
1: part of the whole, who knows what the heck's going to happen next
0: year. Right, and yeah. who knows if there's a DH. Like, I'm cautiously optimistic, or actually probably more confident than most people, that there is going to be a universal DH next season. And the reason I say that is given the labor dispute... I think making the DH permanent is going to be a chip used to get play to occur. Because I think as we've talked about the potential, not the potential, the nasty labor negotiations the really just is not in a good place, right? Between the league and the players association, there's been concern. Is there even going to be a 2021 season prior to COVID because of labor disputes? Um, Or is there going to be a a preemptive lockout or preemptive strike or something like that? And I think, MLB the league is going to try to use lost revenues from 2020 to sort of what the NFL did right and sort of get a CBA extension that's a bit more favorable to ownership and I think that DH is going to be that chip like I think the reason Manfred hasn't committed to it is because he's going to try to use it to get games to play that you know again projecting negotiations projecting rob man Manfred's behavior is not my expertise but that's just sort of <laughs> my that's just sort of my uh, hypothesis on, on how things are going to play out and so i'm not totally opposed to doing it but i do agree with you they're setting themselves up for if this if it is 26 man rosters if just these things i'm talking about don't happen there is a lockup and i do think one of Sol- like a rough or a solana i've been expecting kind of one of those players to be swapped for a you know a low-level prospect, or even to be honest with you, I thought one of them would be traded for a Matt Whistler type. Mm -hmm. I didn't think the Giants would go out and sign a Matt Whistler. I thought if the Giants were going to sign a reliever, they were going to sign a Hendricks, a hand, and then you make a minor move for a Whistler type. So that kind of threw me off in the signing, not because I dislike Matt Whistler per se, but just I thought that was sort of a move on the margins we'd see sort of in a different way.
1: Yeah, and and your your point is definitely solid. The the Giants don't want to be losing inventory that is going to be really really valuable if you know next April suddenly it's a twenty eight man roster again, right? So you don't want to make make uh, make decisions rashly in the face of all this unknown. I expect what they're going to do is just keep adding parts, but adding parts that you're not necessarily locked into. So I guess to answer your first question, one crying need to me really is they have to have somebody who can play shortstop because i was thinking that at the end of 2019 you know you were getting a a fantastic year really from brandon crawford um, and a solid year from evan longoria but it wasn't a great situation that by the end of the year they really had nobody else that they could run out to shortstop if crawford needed a day and you can't do that over 162 games
0: yeah i agree i i piece yesterday too is of the sort of resurgent 2020 seasons Brandon Crawford's is the one that analytics are most like we're skeptical of or the sort of peripheral you know expected values of his hits um, when you look at home run to fly ball rate and other things where of Crawford belt and you know Longoria you know Crawford was the, was the second best he played better than Longoria by most of the counting stats and other things but when you look at sort of expectations there's a pretty strong case that he's going to be the worst of those guys. And he's offensively. And like you mentioned, if you're not going to get a Jackie Bradley jr. Although I have to admit, if that market comes down, I do think that would do a lot. Or if you're not going to make a Blake Snell, Kevin Kiermaier trade, then Dubone's kind of locked in at center field. And you are kind of in that. That's why I love Hassan Kim partly because in any time you say international free agent, 25 years old, <laughs> and the top 100 prospect, I'm just there for it. Um, if, if, I think you're right, though. They aren't probably spending in that aisle, which is kind of disappointing me. But, you know, like that's part of the reason I like him is you can get him say he's you're my everyday second baseman. You know, let Solano be that utility role, because then you can put Solano at second and shift Kim to short if Crawford needs a day and sort of ease Kim into being an everyday big league player. And if he needs some more time to adjust, you can give it to him. But if he's ready, then you pretty much have it set that after next season, you can kind of shift over.
1: Yeah, I can, I can sort of uh, underwhelm you uh, <laughs> to death with this suggestion, but one guy who's out there who kind of perfectly fills a lot of their needs is, is old friend Eddie Adrianza. Uh, switch hitting, can play shortstop, second base, third base. Athletic enough, you could probably stick him out in the outfield if you needed to. You know, he could check a lot of boxes for you, even if he's not checking any of them um, uh, enthusiastically. Uh, but that's the kind of player I think that, that they may want to get uh, on a non roster invite kind of deal just to, just to have somebody around who can do all those things.
0: Yeah, I, I was actually, that name was kind of the one where if the Giants are kind of in a cheap payroll kind of situation, you know, you're looking for that shortstop. He was a, a guy I identified too. And as I remember watching a spring training broadcast, Mike Kruko once said he has as much power of any guy in this organization so you know <laughs> you never know if, if they'll finally come so that uh, that
1: could have been true of the giants of the, <laughs> of
0: the time yeah that's that's yeah anyway <laughs> shifting away from uh, what could happen the big league or i should say the starting rotation they, there was the rule five draft and uh, i haven't talked about that with anyone yet even though it was I want to say a week and a half, two weeks ago. At this point, they obviously draft uh, Daniel Nunez in the big league portion, and then draft three players: um, Vince Fernandez, Ronnie Williams, and Mitchell Tolman in the minor league phase. I was curious, uh, what what were your takeaways? So
1: there were a few guys who 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 I really liked who were taken in the rule five. Uh, but actually, let me start by saying this: I'm a little bit of a of a rule five skeptic. Uh, even though I'm a I'm a big prospect hound and I love the rule five. And I also recognize that the rule five is a fantastic thing for players who get selected because, you know, even if you're not on a 40 man roster very, very long and get returned, you know, like Donnie Jimenez did last year, it can be life-changing the amount of money that you're making just on like a major league per diem in spring training can be something important to someone who's been surviving on a ball. <laughs> Uh, salary for uh for years, so i 'm really happy for the players. I tend to think that it is not a very efficient way to pick up talent because those roster spots are so precious, and it is really difficult to carry a player long enough to keep them not impossible obviously uh, and it's also a little, can be hard on their development and there are other ways to get players that don 't come with those same strings. You know which the Giants uh, under Farhan Zaidi have often have all, uh, obviously shown with you know having a Donovan Solano in your in your AAA or or Mike or somebody who you don't have to carry on the major leagues and let them get that extra developing in the minors is probably a more effective way to to get talent into your system. That said, there were several pitchers who I really liked who went above where the Giants picked. Unfortunately, Zach Pop. Uh, who got taken by Arizona maybe, was a guy who I really had targeted as liking, Garrett Whitlock, who the Red Sox grabbed. Um, Both of those guys fall into this really interesting category, and there are a few other people too, Tyler Wells, who came out of the Twins organization, of pitchers who are coming off injury and didn't pitch much in 2019, uh, which is a really interesting... um, A really interesting way to help you keep a player because obviously a rule five player has to be on the major league roster, but they don't have to be on the active roster all year. And if you have an injury that you are recuperating from, they can use the injured list uh, for a long time to help a guy get some more reps in the minor leagues on rehab and whatnot, just so long as they're in the majors for 90 days. And, you know, a couple of the guys who've, who've stuck recently, Elvis Luciano. If you look at Elvis Luciano's uh, 2018, I guess that was, uh, he was in the Major League for exactly 90 days, and there's a whole lot of injured list shenanigans going on with him. You know, The rest of the time, Anthony Santander and Baltimore is the same way. If you've got an injury that you can play with to kind of shop a guy on and off the roster, so they're not taking up a roster spot the whole time, it makes it a lot easier to hold on to that guy without – putting the burden of his existence on all the other players. So I really like those, um, those sort of injured pitchers coming back picks. Um, Daniel Nunez, uh, he, he's a good arm. He's got a, a terrific fastball. It sounds like the, the spin rates are you know, off the charts. Uh, he's going to be very effective with that at the top of the zone. Whether you can live with a fastball at the top of the zone and no other pitch in the majors is – Pretty questionable. I, I I don't know that he's going to stick. Uh, it's a good arm, but I like some of the guys who the Giants added to the forty man this month more because again they can they can develop. They can continue the development of the minor league until until they're ready to pop. So I, I'm more excited that Camilo is around than that Daniel Nunez is around.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree. The, the weird thing with Nunez too is I really don't know what to expect. Like I'm kind of curious to see because. You know, I read sort of the reactions and most of the other prospect writers and they talked about his fastball that's touch 97, 98, mid 90s fastball and kind of, you know, a breaking ball that's flashed strong numbers and other things. But then I I talked to some people and they were saying that really the curveball is the strongest pitch and that his fastball only averaged around 91 miles per hour and 2019 and then in instructs was averaging 94 95 that his fastball had been really inconsistent and that it had finally shown some consistency and instructional league and if that latter one is true i think it's intriguing and i think that also would kind of fit the trend of what was similar with danny jimenez right a guy who saw a jump in fastball velocity and had a good breaking ball and then when his fastball velocity jump dipped this year they sent him back which again um, we saw the A's draft Jimenez this year, which I, I like for them. I thought the Giants could have done a bit more to keep Jimenez around, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, the guy I liked who I think was av- he was available um, for the Giants was Trevor Stefan, mm-hmm. who was uh, in the Yankee system. He's a guy who the run prevention wasn't there in 2019, but all the peripherals were, and I tend to kind of lean. I, I It seems like this Giants – Front office under zaidi with the rule five draft after now we have travis bergen um nunez jimenez with when it comes to pitching it seems like they're targeting lower minors guys who were if they were in the bullpen already were dominant or you know starters who flashed some dominance and relief like nunez it seems like the instructional league was a pretty big part uh, of, of what their reactions were to or what they liked and I kind of lean the opposite direction. I kind of look, try to find guys who have played in the upper minor leagues and maybe haven't had the run prevention, but it was in a small enough sample where I can convince myself the peripherals were strong enough. Like Stefan struck out like 60 guys in 50 and in- double a innings in 2019. And his walk rate was a bit high, but overall historically that hasn't been an issue for him. And you know, that's just sort of where I kind of differ from them because I agree with you, right? Like to me, the reason the rule five draft is great and why prospect people love covering it is because, you know, normally you're so focused on one organization, right? For us, that's the giants that when you are looking into the draft and you like a prospect or you see a prospect elsewhere, you don't really have an outlet to write about the fringish prospect, you know, the Matt Duffy's of the world mm-hmm. in the Rays or cleveland's organization even if you like to and want to put that out there and so the rule five draft is the perfect opportunity six seven seven-ish years down the road to say hey we you know here's all these notes from years of thoughts on these guys that i haven't um, been able to put in something even if it is not likely to lead to a fantastic pick for anyone in particular i think it's more something that it gives the writers an opportunity for content much more than it gives teams an opportunity um to grab a quality player, was there anyone for you? I'm kind of in the same boat with you on Nunez, where again, if some jumps maintain, he could be a solid arm in the bullpen. But all in all, you know, it, it's wait and see. Was there anyone that stood out from the minor league phase that previously noticed or looking into, um, were intrigued by, or do you see this more of as just from your perspective, like these are depth guys who are going to get at bats, but probably not people I'm going to be paying too much attention to?
1: Uh, yeah, I tend to think depth guys. Um, uh, Fernandez is is a uh, big power, big hole in the swing type. Uh, Mitchell Tolman, I think, was a response to Jalen Miller uh, being taken as Miller had been taking the 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 pick before that or the draft, uh, the round before that, pardon me. Uh, and I, I, I've been writing this week on on roster previews, and uh, I put one up on. Um, Friday, there was the Richmond preview. And the, and the first thing I noted was the upper miners of the of the giant system are really, really, really hollowed out that huge amounts of players who were in either San Jose, Richmond or Sacramento in 2019 are just gone for one reason or another, most minor league free agents. And they have to replace I mean, they they have to field those teams. So they're going to have to sign a whole bunch of minor league guys just to fill out the, the depth of the rosters in both Richmond and, and Sacramento. I, I tend to think that's what most of these uh, guys were. Um, although, you know, Ronnie Williams is an interesting arm, but I, they, I look at them as depth. I do want to go back just for one second. Uh, one of the major league picks that I was really interested in was the A's taking Kai Tom. Mm. Um, And what was really most interesting about Tom is I can't for the life of me figure out why Cleveland never used him last year when they were fielding what was literally the worst outfield in the major leagues. And they had this guy who had performed really quite well for them in AAA, and they never once gave him a shot and then didn't protect him. So their evaluation of him was clearly not high um, but he's an interesting guy. So if, if the A's turn him into something, I'm really going to wonder what was going on with Cleveland's decision-making with him.
0: I, I appreciate you coming on my podcast and mentioning a guy from Hawaii. I think that's a... good.
1: <laughs> well, I butchered his name, so...
0: I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I do I think that that was one name. It was one of those where, you know, I wasn't looking too closely at outfield just because I felt like the way this group is a front offices approach things. I thought um, also partially again, I kind of tend towards if the rule five is best, where if I was a team, I'm going to, if I'm going to use a pick, I'm going to be really aggressive with it mm-hmm. because again, I think the chances of return are so low that to me, it's like, if I'm going to use a pick, like I'm either going to go for a guy who I'm really confident is an everyday player and think the entire league is missed on, or if not, which in most cases, you know, few teams are going to have that kind of eval on these guys. I'm going to go for uh, Lazaro Armentero. So I'm going to go for some big tools guy Mm -hmm. who's probably not going to play and I'm probably going to have to stash because then at least at the end of the year, I know I'm, you know, I'm going to pay this price. This is going to be the sunk cost, but I'm ultimately going to willing to put this in because I think this guy, this player has the tools Then I can send them to the minor leagues and they can get that development. And so for for
1: me, that guy is Akil Badu. I mean, who who I have long loved, very fast, very athletic, r- incredible bat speed, big power. Uh, and I like that Detroit took a swing at him. I, I I don't see how you can carry him for a year on a, if you're if it's 26 fan rosters. Uh, but I love that kind of play. I agree with you there.
0: Yeah. And right. The Giants and Tigers are in very different positions, right? Like the, the Giants, as you mentioned, this kind of glut of guys it's good it's and they seem want to be a bit more competitive the tigers you know i'm sure they want to be competitive but their roster construction right now gives them a bit more of that flexibility but tom was a guy who i didn't see sort of in my first look through and then circled back afterward and was like you know this like you're right like his 2019 was really impressive there's obviously that jump in power that took place you know had good plate discipline historically strong defender I am curious I liked both of the ace picks frankly I, I I wouldn't have been totally surprised if the Giants um had picked Jimenez again although I, I understand why it, it, it didn't happen but you know the ace g- grabbed a couple of guys who you know were, have been intriguing to me in, in the, the limited um bits I've seen yeah
1: and I, I agree with you I like both the ace picks and I, I guess my wrap up on this is it's fun exercise but um, you know, the Giants signed Jason Vossler to a major league contract for a reason and they put Camilo Duvall and protected him from the Rule 5 draft. Those are the picks that I'm looking at more as being impactful for their season than than Daniel Nunes.
0: Yeah, and also, right, the Giants aren't the only team. Every team is preparing for, for the Rule 5 draft, right? right? So, you know, we know our prospects and we know they protected Canario and Santos and uh, Curvin Castro, Castro and... Uh, Duval. They signed Jason Voster to a big league deal. They signed Chad with Trump to a big league deal to make sure um, they weren't rule five. But uh, to be fair, they signed Trump to a big league deal for probably because another team was offering one as well. But, you know, right, that right. was one thing when they announced those signings before the rule five draft. If Trump is on my league deal, there's no way to me he gets to the rule five draft not being selected. And Every team is doing that. The Camilo Duvals and the Alexander Canario's, every team is protecting them. So you got to think about of the Giants players who are available, you know, they have a pretty they are no longer at the bottom of the farm system rankings. They're at the best, probably or at worst, probably in that mid tier. I'm a bit higher on them, but, you know, in that mid tier. So most of their organizations are protecting those same guys. So it, it's always going to be a difficult proposition. So.
1: Yeah, I, there's one last point I was going to make exactly following that, which is there is a degree to which Rule 5 draft is a barometer of organizational talent. So for the last several years, you know the Yankees are going to get a few people taken, which they always do, and they did again. You know you know some Rays are going to get taken, and it's because those teams have 40-man gluts. They have too much talent at the top of their organization and consequently everybody wants to come pick off the herd and so you can you can kind of see what the industry thinks of your talent by how many people you're getting selected in the rule five draft so the Giants organization talent is getting better but they're not at this point where you know Tyler Sear didn't get selected Jose Marte didn't get selected so other organizations are not looking at them as having that kind of uh, uh, talent glut, a surplus talent that can be picked off.
0: So, last thing, Roger, before I let you go, you've been kind enough to give me this much of your time already. I, you know, we both do, you know, both focus on prospects. That's what uh, the majority, I'd say, of our time is spent on. You've been doing this longer than I have, obviously, in, in a more formal fashion, definitely. Um, I just kind of want to look back because the giant system is getting better, it is getting more exciting. And so, people who read our work, have reason to say, wow, this system's improving, it's getting better, and this is a team that, you know, not too long ago won World Series because of homegrown talent. And obviously, it's easy to get excited. But I kind of wanted to give us a chance to give a little retrospective um, to potentially you know, cool, you know, to, to kind of give context for people who are maybe new to the prospect game, right. If you were a fan from 2010 to 2016, that you didn't necessarily have a lot of reason to be focused, worried too much about the minor leagues because the big league team was competitive. The last few years it hasn't. I think there's, you've seen an increase in giant fan interest in the minor leagues, in the first round picks in the third round picks and all of these things. And so for people new to the prospect game, you know, as much time as we've spent on it, we have our own players who we still are surprised didn't work out. And so um, I-, I said to you beforehand, come with your kind of your your, your proudest, you know, who is the player that others uh, maybe weren't as high on that you were, and who was the player that you thought was going to make it and just never panned out?
1: I want to I start with a slightly different category, too, and that's uh, something Sounds else good. we talked about, which is guys you didn't think we're going to be good and ended up being much better than you thought. Um, because there's several guys that I have in this category and everyone of them kind of have taught me a lesson, uh, even if their careers were really slight. Cause one guy who stands out to me in this way is Kelby Tomlinson, uh, who I remember seeing in, in as a Sally player when he was 22 or 23 and he was a punch and Judy guy hitting like 220, and I wrote him off. I said, or guy right there. And I did not take into consideration that, you know, speed and defense are carrying tools and he could make adjustment to his hitting. And, you know, not the greatest career, but a real legit big league career that I didn't think he had any chance in the world of, of getting to. Um, And I've always sort of carried that in my back of my head, you know, fast guys can adjust their hitting and, and the, and the tools will catch up to them. Another guy who I saw in the, in the Sally was Brian Wilson, and it was the year he came back from TJ. So the Giants drafted Brian Wilson pretty low because he he had TJ right before the draft. Uh, he actually was considered a much higher higher round talent. But I saw him the next year, and that was one of the most like 10 cup experiences of my life in the minor leagues where he could not get an out one day, and I'd, I was cringing in the audience watching him because it was sort of painful to watch. He had no stuff, he had no command. Um, and I felt, (laughs) I really felt bad for him. Um, the next year he proceeded to like climb five levels and, and, and get to the major leagues. And then the other guy I would want to point out in that same category is Brandon Crawford, uh, who, you know, I always thought, yeah, this guy's a major league fielder, but I did not think he would hit enough to be an everyday player in part. That's because his development was sort of weird. He was rushed to double a and he had a few injuries and he, he just never hit much in the minors. And it's, you know, to all credit to him that he became the player who's had the career that that he's had. He he made himself into a better hitter than I think anybody who ever scouted him thought he was going to be. So those are some guys who surprised me in a good way. Guys that surprised me in a bad way, the more I, I tried to think through who those guys were, almost all of them injury ends up being a big part of the story. The biggest one was Jesse Foppert, who I saw in the Texas League, and he threw – a really ridiculously easy 98 where he looked like he was just playing catch and it would just get on hitters fast. And then he backed it up with uh, uh, exactly what Kevin Gosman was doing this year with a split finger that fell off the table. And he just dominated people. Uh, And I really thought that he was going to be an ace. And then I saw him the very next spring in spring training. And he looked different already then. He wasn't throwing. He didn't have quite the zip. And And then TJ happened, and he was one of those rare people who just never never recovered from TJ. That was basically the end of his career. Another guy who I loved, and I talked a minute ago about Akil Badu, I am Charlie Brown in the football all day long for athletic power speed guys. So (laughs) the Giants uh, used to have a guy named Francisco Piguero, Frankie Mm -hmm. Peggs, as we called him. Uh, incredibly athletic, very, very fast, never hit for a lot of power, but had raw power in his bat because he had great bat speed. Um, ultimately he was undone by one injury that seemed to take some of the steam out of his legs, but then, you know, a, a fairly bad approach at the plate. Um, and I, I, I just always fall for those guys. And like, just, 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 just kind of control the zone a little bit more. And there's so much talent here um and a lot of those players just never quite do that because it's hard frankly because it's hard to do
0: yeah i I, more recently i think sort of for me i've had to reconsider how much i put into age as an evaluative tool and how much sort of um, context i give it because obviously you know when when a player's 21 at low a versus 24 there's a pretty big gap but in seeing you know what guys like Donovan Solano, guys like Mike Yastrzemski have done at the big league level. Obviously, these weren't prospects in the Giants system. I hadn't followed them for a while, and so you're kind of doing more cursory um, backtracking at what other people have written and you know what the numbers are, but you, know, you, you look at it and you say, these are late 20s guys, or you know, if you'd told me right between Mike Yastrzemski, Michael Reed, Alex Dickerson, and Connor Joe and Andrew Ferguson, which one was going to be the guy who surprised and kind of became the Giants, Max Muncy became a borderline MVP candidate, right? Like, Yastrevsky's probably three or four on that list for me. You know, it just, it, it, it was just, you know, I'm saying, like, at the time when they were acquired, just because the, again, I, I think I, I'd lean so much towards you. And as for a player I was high on that didn't work out, more than any one player, it's definitely just that 2013 San Jose Giants rotation. Because that's like Clayton Blackburn, Ty Block, Alberto Mejia, (laughs) Kyle Crick, Edwin Escobar, you know, and I was a big Escobar guy. Escobar, when we when he was moved for PV, that was after he'd struggled a bit at Sacramento. And so I was a bit less hurt than I would have been. But Escobar was kind of my guy who it's like this guy's. You know, 2021 doing this against advanced competition, getting strikeouts, no issues with walks. I thought he was set to be a perennial mid-rotation starter. Interesting note, I found out in looking this up, Escobar's had a strong career in Japan as a relief pitcher. He's actually been a top setup guy um, in the NPB. But, you know, he, he didn't become the player. I thought, like, in that rotation, as I was, you know, watching games and obviously mostly tracking them, is like, I thought there was a number of mid-rotation guys here between mm-hmm. Mejia and Blackburn and Escobar and Crick especially. And ultimately, none of them became mid-rotation starters. You know, most of them reached the major leagues. Block had some years as a back-rotation starter. Mejia had a year as a back-rotation starter. Crick's obviously had a solid um, career as a reliever. But sort of realizing the how difficult it is, right, to project starting pitching, I think it's something I, when I was obviously a lot younger, following this partially because I came of age around, you know, the Linsecums and the Canes and the Bumgarners. And so I think I got too caught up in the certainty of, of starting pitching prospects. Well, you know, obviously that's, there's a reason Moneyball talks about, you know, the high school pitcher being the most volatile of prospects, even if we can have some reflections on Moneyball and critiques of it. There's a reason that they came to that conclusion then. And a lot of it still holds true.
1: Yeah. I, get in arguments about this all the time. I think people are far too quick to assign back in starter profiles to pitchers. And in part, because if you look around the majors, most people who are at the back end of rotations, aren't guys who were back in starters, you know, quote unquote, profiles coming up, they tend to be guys who used to be good and got signed to a long contract and are just, you know, the Barry Zitos of the world or they're guys who are big products who didn't quite hit their their ceiling. They're, you know, guys who are on the way down or they're guys who've had injury problems. There's not a lot of the tie blocks get there and stick because it's really hard to stick around in the major leagues with less than than premium stuff. So I I just mentally kind of will slice the numbers of back-end starters that you have around, you know, in in half or a third or something, because most of those guys, to my mind, are going to be, they're going to be depth, they're going to be interest forest types. That's what they're really going to be, is someone who's in AAA and comes up and picks up starts for you, or tie block types. You know, the thing about age that's interesting to me, so another, uh, one example of somebody who I really was on that other people weren't, was Jonathan Sanchez, and he, and you know, it's because I saw him. when he was in Augusta. He was, you know, he was a, a four-year college guy from uh, Ohio Wesleyan. Somewhere in Ohio. Um, yeah, Ohio
0: Dominican, I think.
1: Ohio Dominican, that's right. I don't know. He was 23 or 24. He, he, he did not have great run prevention numbers. He had a four-something ERA. But people didn't hit his fastball. I mean, he had, even though it wasn't huge on the velocity reading, people didn't hit it. And I actually was on him pretty big at that time. I so said, I think this guy, is, this guy is something you can build on. Because he was a little old for the competition and he didn't dominate, um, a lot of people dismissed him. I, I think that age is much less of a, a, an issue with pitchers who are developing than it tends to be with hitters who really do need to face that sort of older, more experienced competition to, to move up their development growth. But pitchers, I think it's more a matter of them becoming themselves, and the age and level of competition don't mean as much for them,
0: mhm, yeah, and and that's one of the reasons I'm as high on Tristan Beck as I am, you know, sort of pull this to the giants um system because he was a guy who you know, because of those injuries, because of other things, is now old for his level, and I, I think you kind of have to kind of look at things. Without necessarily some of that broader context, I still think it's a useful gauge, right? It's a, loose, mm-hmm, it's a useful um, evaluative tool because it's also just to understand trajectories, right? Like, like there are no Juan Sotos, right, that emerge at 27. There just aren't. You know, they there. You know, Mike Trout. <laughs> it doesn't seem like you know struggle at Triple A for a few years and then all of a sudden, for the most part, those players crush the lower minor leagues. They crush or at the very least are really good at the upper minor leagues they maybe have a year or two in the big leagues where they adjust but for the most part they're pretty much it seems like almost ready-made right that there's never a point where they stall out especially at the lower levels but most players aren't those guys and they're still really good players they're still players who will win mvps and win cy youngs who don't necessarily have that steven strasberg or tim lincecum like explosion to those levels of uh, of success and i think that's something that's useful to keep in mind because ultimately it is you know what what we're doing is having fun looking at and and seeing what all these players become but with also an understanding that we're probably wrong about 90 percent of of projections right at least
1: i have seen mike kostemski play a lot like many many times over several years and i always liked him i never imagined I never imagined he could do what he did last year, much less what he did this year. But you know what? These players work. They change. They evolve. And, you know, all the credit in the world to them. It's a, it's a really amazing.
0: Definitely. So I think that's a, a great note to end this on, Roger. Um, thank you uh, for taking the time. Uh, tell the people where they can find all the great work you're doing.
1: You can always find my writing at therearegiants.com that's just a single r so therearegiants.com or you can follow me at twitter at rod 61
0: and i am your host mark deluki you can follow me on twitter at mad DeLucchi. that's m-a-d-d-e-l-u-c-c-h-i this has been around the foghorns official san francisco giants podcast make sure to follow us over at round the foghorn or just go to our website around the foghorn Dot .com. Thank you everyone. Stay safe and have a wonderful week.